uh, Martin Luther King Day, everybody. We're going to show the love today and start out with a little, can you feel the love tonight before we introduce Mr. Jim Malvaso? Woo! All right, Mr. Jim, you ready? I'm ready. Let's All right, go. let's go. Ty, you ready? I sure am. All right. <laughs> well, we're here to celebrate Martin Luther King Day, right, Ty? Yes, we are. So, and then do a, a Martin Luther King Day, everybody. We're going to show the love today and start out with a little, can you feel the love tonight before we introduce Mr. Jim Malvaso? Woo! Tyler, who are we taking a time out with today? Oh, this is fun. Kevin, thank you, man. Uh, we got Jim Alvaso, everybody, the VP of HR at Constellation Brands up in uh, Rochester, New York. Uh, Jim, thanks for, ha thanks for coming on our show, Time Out with Leaders. We just like to, uh, you know, showcase the, the talent and, and uh, leadership up there in y'all's neck of the woods. And uh, Jim, I'm going to start out by asking you, what was your most fond memory over there in East Lansing? Oh my gosh, East Lansing, I loved it. So um, being part of uh, a larger school like Michigan State was fantastic. And um, they made a bit of a basketball run when I was there. And uh, so really enjoyed watching the Spartans play the team Cleves. And, you know, I got to a couple wow. football games as well. So um, it was a good time for sure. Nice. What was you the, were there with the, the team best sports Charlie team Bell? that you remember? Yeah. I just, uh, so I remember, yeah, Mateen and uh, it's, I'm trying to remember some of the other players that were there, but uh, they made it to the final four um, the, the year I graduated from grad school. And then uh, the next year they went on to win it all. So it was pretty cool. Is, was Izzo the coach, Ty? Yeah, Izzo. Yeah, yeah, really? yeah, okay. absolutely. Izzo was the coach. Yeah, still still there and and uh, going strong. So Don't want to see him in March. Too. He's scary in March. That's right. That's right. So Good stuff. Especially, especially with all those, uh, those uh, that recruiting class from the, from Flint, Michigan, I remember. They called them the Flintstones. That's right. <laughs> you got it. The, what, what's the, uh, what's, what do you eat in East Lansing if I'm ever around? Is there any specific, I'm, I'm a foodie if you can't tell, and I miss, I miss y'all's delis like crazy sometimes. So if I'm ever <laughs> in East Lansing, does something pop out to you? You know, believe it or not, they had a lot of good chicken wing spots out there. So, you know, wow. being from Rochester, New York, and so close to Buffalo, now nothing compares to, you know, Buffalo wings, but uh, they did a pretty good job up there. So, um, you know, That's we used impressive. to go and, uh, yeah. yeah no, I did have, uh, my bad. buddy in Boston complains that there is like no chicken wings in the state of Massachusetts that, that are even close to Buffalo style. So it's amazing to hear. All right. Yeah. Well, Jim, if uh, what is uh, we we like to kind of learn from from our guests and 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 Tyler being very musical as we just saw as that intro there, first chair music means a lot to us. What uh, what's what's your favorite kind of music? And if you had to listen to one song and one song only the rest of your life on repeat, what would that be, Jim? Oh my gosh, well that's a great question. So I'm a huge Dave Matthews Band fan. Okay. Um, so I've traveled around uh, to see. He and the band play uh, a couple different countries, been to Ireland and Canada and down in Mexico um, to see uh, those guys play and, and they're fantastic. So um, I'd have to say The Stone is one of my favorite um, jams by, uh, by Dave Matthews. And so when I'm not listening to Dave though, you know, Mumford and Sons, 
enjoy some country uh, okay. music as well. And uh, so kind of dabble in all the uh, fun genres there. What one Dave Matthews song could you recite? No problem. Didn't even need the lyrics and didn't even oh need the God. melody to know all oh the lyrics God. of the song. Oh my gosh. There's so many, uh, the best of what's around, you know, is pretty good. Um, geez, you know, I just got to hear the music and then I start going. I start All going. Right. So if I had yeah, to do it just off the cuff, I might Tyler, you so know good, any Dave? <laughs> Mr. Boyd Tinsley, I believe, sets the bar pretty high. Oh, he does. Right. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, you know, he made the violin cool, you know, and then back then you didn't have all these YouTube videos on all these music, these sheets of music, you know, you went to this place called Ben Jacks and they may have had the Disney book and you're like, Oh, this is fun. Instead of your Mozart, Bob, Brahms and Beethoven stuff. But yeah, I mean, I, I always enjoyed uh, just his style of play and just kind of bumped it up a little bit and uh, made it fun. But, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah Boyd used to jam with ants marching, you know, we oh. get the violin going down there in their little riff. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and there's, there's nothing like rocking rocking it so hard that the horse hair starts flying off your bow that, that's what I, that's what i knew i was the man in like sixth grade i was like yeah i need a new bow mom i've been rocking too hard in orchestra yeah that's awesome and this is coming yeah, from a very big sports guy i think he said he made all state and how many sports did you play <laughs> <laughs> my dad wanted me to be cultured so i think he gave me like five bucks a week to play an orchestra so uh anyway you can get your awesome. kids to do other things you know um yeah jim and, uh, jim, jim do you have a family up here in, in rochester i do yeah so i um married my, my wife for 20 plus years uh 22 years will be this year we have four kids <laughs> um they're senior junior freshman in high school and then i got a son who's in seventh grade so now, outside of work, we uh, we certainly stay busy with all of their their activities, and we're now managing the college process. My daughter, my oldest, is trying to figure out where she's going to go to school, um, which she says is not going to be anywhere close to New York State. Um, she wants to go. <laughs> Smart girl. She wants Smart to. Girl. <laughs> she wants to go somewhere warm. So uh, you know, we'll see how that all shakes out. Golly, and Kevin just became a dad, and we always talk about these kids nowadays, like. Like it's such a different world they grow up in. I, I feel like how 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 accessible information is to them compared to us. You know, I remember watching NFL films once a year, hearing the guys talk on the sideline and be like, "This is my only hour getting this." Now they're on TikTok yeah. and Instagram, hearing the whole thing. What what you know, all the conversations. Of what what. What do you what do you press on your kids, Jim, um, compared to when we grew up? You know, it was more towards manners and character, and that's it. Is there another level nowadays that <laughs> to, to steer your kids in the right direction? Well, so it's all those things like values, right? You want to teach your kids to be respectful and and trustworthy and and kind and thoughtful and generous. Um, but you know, with social media right now, things are forever, right? So anything you put out there. Um, people can go see and, and see that like colleges. So we try to impress on our kids that anything you put out there on social media, just know that people can come back and, and see that and use it, you know, for or against you in, in a lot of ways. And so we would really try to discourage, you know, um, that as much as we can, um, you know, so much around face-to-face -face interaction and being able to socialize um, voice to voice is, is, is going away based on the social media. Like they just want to text well, I'll text my teacher. I'll, I'll go. I don't need to go see my teacher. I just want to send them an email. I want to text them. It's like, no, you got to get out there and you got to learn how to have a conversation with somebody face to face. And so, and we push that very much, um, you know, with our kids, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but uh, I think they get the message. 
Well, I think uh, it's so important today. I think, um, like you said, I think sometimes we, we get more comfortable behind the digital screen and we, we, we get to see that almost every single day is like almost everything is now tailored specifically to us based off of our likes and, 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 and everything's data driven. Um, so everything's like customized to us, even Netflix, you turn on Netflix, it's like, oh, this looks great, even though they probably have 10,000 different things on there. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty remarkable. As we're kind of switching gears and we're talking about MLK Day today, Martin Luther King Day, it's a day that I love. Um, first time I've ever had it off is actually today, um, which is pretty cool. Um, never had it off before, but thanks to um, obviously where we are, uh, my organization kind of recognized it. It should have been a holiday. Um, so it's great. Um, but what does MLK as a leader uh, Jim, mean to you when, when you're thinking about Martin Luther King as a leader, as a teacher, as a speaker, what does he mean to you as a leader? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. So, you know, I'll, I'll start off by saying I had the opportunity to go to uh, Montgomery, Alabama um, two years ago, actually around this time to uh, the Equal Justice Initiative and went and toured the Legacy Museum with some of my colleagues. And I would say it was probably one of the most um, gut-wrenching but powerful experiences um, to go through to see you know, how our African-American black community um, was disadvantaged, you know, through so many years. And um, just to see and read these stories about all the social injustices um, that have taken place. And, you know, obviously we see those still take place today. It was really an eye-opening experience as I've gone through my own education journey um, on this. And I think we're all, um, you know, doing our part to, to that over these last few years, what's, what's gone on here locally and throughout the, um, the U.S. But, um, you know, I would say, you know, the inclusivity um, is really important and, and how we uh, make sure we embrace, you know, all people um, of, you know, different um, uh, cultures, um, styles, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's so important, um, you know, for, for me with my family as we talk about these um, you know, social injustice that have taken place, you know, around us um, in our schools. Um, but it's also important, obviously, within our company, um, too, to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to um, look and, um, and represent the communities in which we, we, we live and work. And so um, we've, we've done great things at Constellation Brands um, around diversity, equity, and inclusion. We're very proud of that, you know, with many of the business resource groups that we formed over the years, just to bring, again, um, different perspectives, education and inclusivity to our organization. And our employees are very passionate about um, everything that we're doing, which is, which is wonderful. Um, and really makes me feel proud of, you know, the culture um, that we're building and that we have. Um, uh, so. I'm so glad that you brought that up because um, Constellation Brands, obviously at top of Rochester, you, you're one of those companies that I think a lot of other organizations idolize, right? I think a lot of other organizations see you guys as the crown jewel because people love working for you. It's not really a challenge for Constellation Brands from a recruiting perspective. Everybody's already looking. They're already kind of combing through the website, seeing what jobs are available constantly. Um, they almost idolize you in some ways, right, Jim? And and I think that move, um, I, and speaking with several other people or Constellation Brands, what, what did that move to downtown initiative mean to the organization from a DE&I perspective? Because I, I, yeah. I know that was a big, big push, um, and, and you guys were more about action than words. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you just said it right there. I mean, it was very important for us to get closer to um, the community within Rochester, Constellation, the Sands have done so many wonderful things within our community. And I think this is just another opportunity for us as Rochester is looking to revitalize 
um, itself and to have, you know, Constellation Brands and, and you know, our support and um, what we hope that that's going to bring and spur, you know, more businesses um, um, to come and come downtown and, and to, to utilize what a great um, space uh, and area that we have there. So um, I'm not sure if you've seen some of the revitalization plans that they are doing with Rock the River Way and all that, but it's going to be fantastic when it's it all done. And so we're uh, we're pretty excited about it's it. It's going to be so nice. Tyler's butt's going to get back on a plane to Rochester potentially. <laughs> but Ken Glazer, I, uh, one of our past guests, was just talking about this initiative and and really what it meant. And I just love that Constellation was not afraid. Like you you think about being outside and, and on the east side of town, and we know Rochester. We talk about east side, west side, just like West Side Story more than anything I've ever heard in Rochester. Um, moving up here, I found it the most entertaining thing to, to, to get in a conversation about, just because I had no idea about it at all. Um, but what made you guys do that, right? I mean, you, you would have said that uh, some people would have called you crazy. I mean, coming downtown, people say downtown's dangerous. Why would you possibly go downtown? Why was it so important to you guys in leadership to, to, really, to really go down there? Yeah, so I mean, we have um, other major offices across um, the U.S. in Chicago and San Francisco, San Antonio, and we recognize sort of the um, the benefits of of working in a, a very diverse community from recruiting perspective, culturally, um, giving our employees that experience. And so, you know, having this opportunity in Rochester just seemed to make sense, um, you know, for all of those reasons. And so, you know, 2024 is when we're going to be, um, you know, making the move. We got a lot of work to do between now and then. <laughs> As we, uh, you know, look at that aqueduct building, which is pretty cool, by the way. Um, and, uh, you know, but we're excited. That time's going to go by fast and we'll be down there before you know it. Yeah, I'm Thank fired you. up to, to hear about it, you know. I, when I first came up there from Northwest Arkansas, I looked at downtown. And I told King Glazer this last week, I said, where is everything, you know? <laughs> so it, it's kind of cool to see, um, you know, some big players uh, taking a step. And uh, it won't take long, you know, for, for p- folks like you, Jim, your company to, to really make a difference down there from, from an outside perspective, at least, you know, once you're in the bubble, it's like, it almost seems like it's impossible, but seeing it from an outside perspective, just like I had to see like Northwest Arkansas from an outside perspective to move up there and be like, dang, that economy wasn't too bad down there with whole Walmart and J.B. Hunt and Tyson, you know, you know, but, but being in the bubble, I never saw it, you know, um, but I wanted to ask you, you know, I love how you brought up that uh, you had to feel it in Montgomery, Alabama. I had a, a, um, an opportunity as a kid uh, playing uh, AAU basketball. We practiced at Little Rock Central and they have a, a, a vast history of, of the education and the diversity and stuff. And I just learned about it such a, such a young age. And I think it just helped me open my mind up so quickly. Um, I just wanted to also turn gears and ask you, what's your favorite part? Um, yeah, I, like Kevin said, I just jumped into the recruiting space and I love it. I love not just selling a job, but getting someone in a position and then getting someone else to build them up around them. You know, I like to just, I don't like to just throw candidates. I like to get someone placed and someone who's going to even build that person up and that person up and that person up. And I tell you what, my days go by pretty quick. So what is your favorite part of being the VP of HR over there? What, what part would you do for free is what I'm trying to ask you. <laughs> you know, I, I really enjoy the, um, the coaching and mentoring aspect of, of, of my role. So, you know, I have the opportunity to work with, you know, many great leaders across, um, you know, constellation. And, you know, I think building, you know, trusting um, relationships with folks because leaders come to HR um, with, you know, what's on their mind and challenges that they may be experiencing, you know, within their departments, um, 
business strategies that they want to tackle. And, and we are a very good um, sounding board, you know, for them and, and help them provide some, some guidance and advice, whether it be people related issues, a lot of them are people related issues, you know, that we deal with, what, whether, how do we get people to be more successful in their roles? How do we continue to, you know, develop our team for succession reasons? Um, so I, I really enjoy, you know, that aspect of, of my job. Um, so one, one, the coaching, and then I have a, a team that, um, you know, that I work with and I love seeing them grow and develop and, um, you know, seeing them, um, achieve their, their, their dreams and aspirations within the organization, um, is something that I take a lot of pride in. Um, you know, a, a mentor once told me that, um, you know, mark of a great leader isn't how many people he or she leads, but how many leaders he or she creates. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that. Um, you know, I've been most proud of, you know, in my time um, working is just seeing people that, um, again, have wanted to achieve, you know, a certain position, and I've helped, you know, them navigate in some small ways to, to help them get there. And uh, this very rewarding as a leader. God, that's awesome. And how do you build that trust to be like an effective soundboard? Yeah, yeah. So that's a great question. You know, the first and foremost is you, you got to, you got to, um, deliver what you say you're going to deliver. And so where I, I find people kind of fall short is when they overpromise and under deliver. So, you know, if we, you know, set, you know, realistic expectations that this is what we're going to do. And even if we're falling short on that, to be forward enough to come and say, listen, I'm not going to get you what I wanted to today, but I'm going to get it to you to tomorrow. And here's, here's, you know, what's going on. So, you know, I think that's really the important aspect of, you know, um, building that trust with, with leaders and, and then from there, you know, that's your reputation. Um, and so your reputation is something that's so important um, within the HR community because, you know, again, we're confidence and, you know, people need to feel like what they are gonna say, share with us can be kept confidential um, and, and not gonna go anywhere um, anywhere else. So um, anyways, some- A lot, some, of, people, uh, a lot of people in HR talk about the, the challenge, right, of playing both sides, right? Is that you have to be there for the employee, like you said. Um, uh, and we're talking about mental health, emotional health, financial well-being today. We're talking about all these different things. Collectively, businesses are now having to protect both the, the, the well-being professionally and personally. Um, how do you play that, that, that space and how do you play it so well, Jim? Um, because it seems like you have built the reputation internally with the key business stakeholders, right? To pull off this initiative or come up with the DEI strategy to really push that type of culture through the management, multi channels of management, I'm sure you're having to deal with. Like, how have you built that relationship with the business? And, and on your LinkedIn, you talk about quantitative showing how much value that you actually are providing in HR, but also how are you still there for the employees so they don't feel like you're only there serving the business? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, there's, a, there's a, a good balance that needs to be had between being the employee and uh, advocate and the company advocate. And so, you know, I think, you know, our moral compass, you know, helps, you know, make sure that we get to the, the right place, you know, on that to, to be thoughtful of, you know, employees concerns. And, you know, I would say businesses over the last two years, you know, have really stepped up and, and I would say I've done everything and I can say specifically for Constellation, you know, we've done everything that we can to be employee advocates, you know, during what's been a very difficult time with this pandemic. And, uh, you know, you think of the challenges that people have working from home, small kids, families, um, you know, just, it's just been overwhelming, um, especially on the mental health side of things. And so, you know, those are things that the business turned to HR very quickly when this pandemic happened 
And, you know, we had to step up and we had to step into, you know, provide solutions to some unique situations that, you know, a lot of us haven't ever experienced. And so, um, yeah, there's a delicate balance there um, between trying to do what's what's best for the company and what's best for the employee. And, um, you know, I think you, you, you fall back onto the relationships that you have with the leaders to say, you know what, I think we really need to, you know, do X, Y, and Z for our employees here on this particular issue. It's the right thing. Might cost us a little bit more as an organization, but you know what? It's the right thing to do. Um, you know, I would say, you know, Constellation, you know, we payroll protected all of our employees during the pandemic when people couldn't work. Um, you know what? Yeah, it cost us some money, but it was the right thing to do for our employees. We wanted to make sure that they didn't go without pay um, during a stretch of time. And you know, some companies weren't able to do that. Again, we feel very fortunate that we were able to, to do that. And again, as we look back on these last two years, a lot of positive things have come out um, of that. And I think that's how we build culture um, and how we build um, commitment from our employees. They look at those little things and say, wow, the company does care about me. Um, so, you know, our actions speak louder than our words. And, and that's one thing that I would say at Constellation, you know, um, you know, we're proud of, you know, we walk the walk and talk the talk. God, there's so much to unpack there, Tyler. Um, yeah. I, 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 literally, so much to unpack. Um, the employee advocates, um, obviously. The, <laughs> but the one thing I want to say, Jim, though, is that you had to build that brand, that recognition, that that reputation and that trust for the business to even turn to HR with some of these challenges or these business-related challenges. So kudos to you and your team to really understand and have already built that relationship to turn during times of crisis to HR. And that's kind of what I talk about very frequently and Tyler knows is about the evolution of HR for the revolution or revolution of HR for the evolution of business. It's something that I'm very passionate about because now HR is stepping up to the plate and they can become these types of leaders within the business. What would you say to people in HR that um, sometimes when they're coming across a challenging conversation, I saw, again, you're, you're really good at, you just took a course on, on conflict resolution, right? I think challenging conversations. Something I am very poor at myself. Um, it's it's a weakness that I have identified. What types of advice do you give people? Because odds are HR is probably finding themselves in these types of environments more frequently than not. For, for the uh, previous thing that I mentioned with the employees and the business, uh, what would you tell them? Like what type of advice for these types of um, difficult conversations, let's say? Yeah, sure. I mean, so first and foremost, when you're having a difficult conversation, you know, you always got to make sure that you're coming at it in a respectful and and, and positive, you know, perspective. Um, you know, people can shut down when they feel like they're being attacked. Um, but from an HR perspective, you know, I would say um, some advice that I always give folks is don't be a wallflower. You know, when you're sitting in the meetings with, you know, business leaders and you have something that you want to share, don't be a wallflower, you know, you gotta voice your opinion. And so that does take time and, and effort and, and practice because it can be intimidating. It's something that I've had to work at, um, you know, during my career as well, um, feeling like I, the confidence to say something and that I feel strongly or passionate about, not wanting to sound like, oh gosh, how are they gonna react to what I just said? You know, you gotta set that aside, have some confidence and again, you know, be able to, um, um, to, to share that. So that's something that I, I talked to my team about, um, you know, as they're partnering with, you know, their, their, their folks, you know, within the business. And so, you know, again, it's not always easy, um, does say some practice, but, uh, I always tell them you have the, my support. I'm here to help be, um, you know, your backup if you need be, uh, if need, if needed and, and, uh, to help tackle whatever situation that you're, you're encountering. So, so cool. Partnering with the business. That's uh, yeah, that's, that's the mindset. 
Time well, leader, all, for sure. It all sounds so simple, but it ain't, you know, I, 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 I talk to HR leaders and hiring managers all the time and just the, geez, just to get someone on the schedule for 10 a.m. on the 22nd. My goodness, you know, it's uh, give an arm and a leg to do some of this stuff. And you throw in the emotional intelligence and all this other stuff about, you know, it's just it's, it, it, I love it. Let me just say that. And it ain't easy, you know, and you keep uh, mentioning your mentor, Jim. Um, who have you learned all this stuff from? Who, who really took you under your wing um, and, and sh- sh- kind of showed you the ropes? Yeah, so, you know, I would say my, my current um, boss, who's our, our CHRO, has just been phenomenal. He's been with the company almost nine years. And, and um, you know, I've been fortunate to work for him, you know, during most of that time. And, um, you know, he's just been, you know, fantastic for me, um, you know, and helping with my development over the years. So I owe a lot of, um, you know, what I've been able to accomplish from him. But I've also had, you know, mentors outside of work. You know, I know you guys talked to Mike Faulkner. He and I talk, you know, on a regular basis. And he's a great sounding board. Um, to me as, you know, we're navigating or I'm navigating some, some, some challenges. And uh, so it's nice to have some in-house, you know, um, support as well as out of the house support um, to, uh, to, to, to talk to folks. You know, my dad was a business leader, you know, for, for many years and, you know, fortunate enough to have him um, as a quick resource to kind of pick up the phone and call as well. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's nice to be able to tap into, you know, a couple of different areas as needed. One of the things that I, I'm, I'm formulating my thoughts, but Ocean Tomo came out recently, and I know Constellation Brands is a publicly traded organization, but they came out and said that organizations value today, 90% is intangible and only 10% is tangible. We think about Constellation Brands, we think about the beer, the wine, the brands and the logos themselves, obviously that has value, but they're still suggesting that 90% of the valuation of Constellation Brands is your people. How, when you came into that environment and that organization from past companies, what was the biggest difference that you saw and maybe the tonality in these meetings or the words that they were using on how they viewed their people? I, I talk sure. commonly about viewing people as, a, as an asset, right? To the business, you invest in them, you protect them. And over time, they should bring you a greater return. But Constellation Brands just seems to have a different um, mentality when it comes to their people. Um, you talked about making more of an investment because it, it, it's worth it, right? <laughs> Some people in HR are like, what does that even mean, Jim? Like I'm asking for money. I can't get anything. Um, so what is that mindset? And what did you notice the biggest disparaging difference as you started there? Yeah, sure. So, you know, first and foremost, uh, Rob Sands at the time was the CEO, um, you know, of, of our organization. And, I'd be in meetings or I'd see him, you know, come and we'd have town halls and he would talk about the importance of people. So you heard it from the top, um, number one, and that trickled down from, you know, the executive team and, and the leaders then built below. And so that message was always important as part of our values, um, you know, and how we, um, uh, how we operate. And so just knowing that and, and seeing that from, from the top of the house was so important um, to me, just a visible, you know, how visible, you know, um, Rob, and then the rest of the executive team was back you know, almost 10 years ago when I started was really important to me. And I think that made me feel valued, um, you know, as an employee and, you know, plus you, know, you add in some of the, the benefits and, 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 you know, our competitive pay structure and, and how we incentivize our employees like all those things mean something as well um, and make you feel like, all right, I am valued, um, uh, you know, by the organization. We do well, um, you know, we sell all these great brands, all these great products. Um, you know, we have opportunities to give back to the community, to participate in, 
um, volunteer, um, you know, things within the within the community, um, because you know that was important to to us in Constellation. And so the fact that I was able to to participate and get involved in all those things again just made me feel valued um, as an employee, and why I love working for the company still today. You know, I, we we don't have a hard time, um, you know, selling the brands um, that we do for for employees coming in because people love Corona. Um, the industry that we're the, the the industry that we are in is pretty sexy. Um, you think about you know beer, wine, spirits, and now even cannabis is where we're dabbling in that with our investment up in Canada. So um, and there's just been a lot of power behind you know um, you know the, the, those stories and and the development that we try to give our employees and um, I don't know I could go on and on, but uh, you know hopefully oh. that gives you a little flavor of some of the things that uh, have been important to me. That's it's it's and it's just really cool to hear. I, I and I think from from your lens, right? The the HR side, you're the only the second HR um, member that we've had on this show. Um, but just this leadership, because I, I think that we need more leadership in HR to get some of these types of initiatives and these projects within the organization. Because um, it's nice to have leaders that see it so clearly at Constellation Brands, but sometimes. Like you said, sometimes people just need coaching. Um, now, in, in your estimation, because we Tyler and I talk about leadership quite frequently, the one question I wanted to ask before I forgot um, was, are leaders born or are they developed? Well, I think it's, um, I mean, a little bit of both, right? I mean, I think nobody's perfect, right? There is no best, only better. Um, and so I think, you know, leaders, um, you have some innate, um, characteristics where, where some people are a little bit more vocal and, and want to step into those situations where you have others that may be a little bit quieter. And that's okay too. It's knowing when to pull those folks, you know, into the moments to, to step up and, and um, on, on a project or whatever it is. So I think it's a little bit of both, um, which, is, which, is a, which is a great question. I never really kind of thought of it that way. But, um, uh, you know, I think over time, I've gotten better as a leader through the experiences that I've had the mistakes that I've made, it's so important to learn from your mistakes. The biggest mistake is not doing anything from, from the learnings. And, um, and so I feel like I've become a better leader through some of the experiences and the, and, and the pitfalls that I've had over time. And, and so if you embrace those opportunities, that's going to even make you better tomorrow. And, um, you know, I talk a lot about that with, with my team and, and the folks that I work with. Dude, that is awesome. And yeah, I think you nailed it on the head, Jim, that recruiting ain't too hard when you, you work for a sexy company, you know? I, <laughs> well, I have an awesome opportunity or if it's just like a manufacturer. I'm like, hey, guys, this is a manufacturer. You know, just your, yeah. your, your brain is awesome. And, and where do you think the Sands learned all this from? Do they ever share? Or was it is it just organic? Like, I, I got to know this. Like, do <laughs> So, I was, you know, so, so um, you know, Marvin um, started the business, you know, almost uh, a little over 75 years ago. And, and, um, and what Richard and Rob have been able to, to grow the business into, and now Bill, um, our current CEO, has just been phenomenal. And so what started out as a small, you know, wine business, you know, we, we, we got into beer back in 2013. You know, that was sort of um, an amazing um, experience, one to be part of. And then, you know, we're, we're, we're part of um, the cannabis industry now, you know, and, and where that frontier is going to take us. So it's been amazing. And, and uh, you know, we've got you know, a little luck along the way, right? I think businesses, you know, experience a little luck, you know, in their success, but it's not without um, a lot of hard work from our employees, some great um, vision from our leaders. And, and uh, we got a lot of smart people that work in Constellation. That's been one of the things that I've enjoyed a lot too. The people wow. are fantastic. 
Absolutely. And I think I love it how you talk about being valued. I mean, there's nothing like it, you know, if you feel valued, um, especially by folks like you mentioned. Um, what, what gets you out of bed in the morning, Jim? What, what's the one thing that gets you out of bed nowadays after working for these folks for, what, nine years and nine months, I think I saw? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I would say it's all about the, um, the history that we're going to write. Um, you know, so as I think about what our future you know, holds, it's great to go back and look at the things that we've accomplished and feel proud about that. But I'm also excited about what's to come. Um, you know, we just uh, we have a, such a bright future um, where we're getting even closer to the consumer. Um, and so what are the new brands that we're going to come out with or the new, um, you know, seltzers that we're going to come up with and maybe even the cannabis space. We just announced, you know, a, a deal with um you know, Coca-Cola and, and, and Fresca. So what's that going to look like? You know, so from an employee perspective, that's exciting, um, you know, for me. And I don't know all the details around all of that, but, um, you know, I know that's something that uh, I look forward to as well as a lot of my colleagues. So my goodness, that's freaking awesome. An exciting environment to be around, but I would still challenge Jim to say that I, I guarantee if you guys didn't treat your co- uh, employees right with those nice compensation structures and the benefits and just your mantra about, I know you guys give back to your employees. You guys do a lot in the community because the sands themselves are very philanthropic. If you didn't do those things, I don't know if it would be as easy to still recruit as it is probably today for Constellation Brands. Do you do you feel that? Yeah, so I would say those are pretty important values that we have as an organization. If we didn't do those, yeah. I mean, I think our the people that we're trying to attract today, and I think any organization, you know, people that are trying to attract are looking at those things to say, all right, yeah, you do, you know, these things within your four walls, but what do you do outside? Um, how do you give back? What, what are you doing, you know, with, um, uh, you know, uh, for supporting, you know, social injustice? I mean, our employees um, are proud of the fact that we are participative um, and all of that. You know, we, we, we give back to female founding companies, um, black owned businesses as well. We've, you know, you know, put for, um, out, bogey out there that we're, you know, going to invest hundred million in each of those respective, you know, categories. Um, prospective employees look at that yeah. and say, all right, you're not just out for yourselves, but you're also out to help, you know, the community and other businesses be successful. And so I would say, you know, that's, you know, a tribute to, you know, the leaders, leaders that we have at our organization from Bill. Um, and his executive team and, and Rob and Richard, obviously. And, and so, you know, we, we feel that. And, and it's something that, again, I'm very proud of, you know, that we, we invest in that way. Being, I've worked for a lot of publicly traded companies and, so, and sometimes, and uh, you can certainly feel that uh, ones that are, I guess, more slaves to their stockholders than others. Um, and, and Constellation Brands is not, it doesn't seem like they're afraid of their stockholders. Their stockholders trust I'm one of them, knows that you guys take care of your employees. And over time, the innovation is going to be there. You listen to your employees. You're always almost on that cutting edge. It's really exciting to to really hear. Now, let's kind of talk flip gears. We're we're in the HR space. We're talking about the future of work. We're talking about, you're kind of talking about cannabis. Now, if you talked cannabis five years ago, people would have looked at you like you got 12 heads probably, Jim. Um, yeah. we're evolving at such a rate right now in the world of work as well with the innovations in technology and AI, where in your estimation is, is, are you guys changing? Like how you're recruiting, right? How you're evaluating talent. Are you all skills-based or is it character with some skills-based hiring? Because as we evolve, new skills are going to be needed almost monthly or, or quarterly. Um, what are you guys doing from a talent perspective or a talent acquis- uh, or human capital perspective there at Constellation Brands? 
Yeah, absolutely. So we have, um, you know, a fairly robust um, talent development program um, where, you know, through an annual cycle, we go through and work with the business to develop um, what are the capabilities that we need to be successful within each function. Um, we identify what those capabilities are, and then we see where our gaps um, exist. As part of that, we also go through succession planning to say, all right, where are our critical roles? Um, where is the talent that we have in the organization and where are our gaps? All that information is fed into our talent acquisition um, model and team so that we can go out and, and, and do the necessary recruiting for those positions. So, you know, there's a little bit of an art, but a little bit of a science to the process that we have. And, you know, this is something that we've, you know, just, um, you know, uh, are in the process of, of doing right now. And, um, you know, our business is fully engaged in that process because they know the importance of um, getting out ahead and, and recruiting and what is a very difficult labor market right now. You know, you, we talk about the great resignation. Um, a lot of people are jumping ship for different opportunities. Um, and so, you know, we're obviously concerned, you know, that we will experience some turnover. Um, and so how do we get out ahead of that? And so I think this process and some of the, um, the retention tools that we have, you know, help mitigate that. Um, are we gonna be turnover free? No, we're gonna see attrition happen um, as any company does, but making sure that we're um, mindful of where the areas are that we need to go, um, mine that talents and, and the skill sets that we need is very important. And um, we have a pretty good process in place to help with all that. Yeah, absolutely. I always say good talent's hotter than the housing market right now. You know, <laughs> I'm back to study and in about 48 minutes, they're gone, you know, so yeah. it's uh, sign them up, fail fast or whatever I keep hearing from all these folks out there. Um, Jim, I wanted to ask you, if you had a, a to, let me let me do this question first. If you could guess what the most common gap is in, in an HR landscape throughout the country, being a professional in your, I just want to know what you think. What, what's the most common gap that you think uh, that HR teams throughout the country see right now? Gaps as far as, you know, skill set or what, in, what, in what regard? Um, more internally. Um, but what are, what are people focusing to uh, change within their, their internal team in HR, like, like going forward? Yeah. So I would say, you know, the ability in which um, I, it, because of, we're living in the, the moment of this, this great resignation. There's a lot of emphasis. We hear this a lot from our, our leaders. Like, what are we going to do to combat, you know, the people that are leaving? We don't want to see people leave. How can we be um, proactive um, to, to help mitigate some of those concerns? So I would say um, right now, that's where a lot of HR folks are um, focusing their attention right now um, to help um, address, you know, what, what, what they may be experiencing. Um, you know, I talked a little bit about it here just a few minutes ago, but I would say that's probably one of the, the biggest areas because talent is so hard to come by um, and, you know, they're commanding more in salaries. Um, you know, this virtual world that we all work in um, is, is becoming um, more common. Um, if you thought about this two years ago, you know, we're all on Zoom, right? I mean, we've been having Zoom fatigue over these last two years. So just being able to adapt. Um, uh, to that that environment as well and getting leaders comfortable that you don't have to work out of the Chicago office or you don't have to work out of the Rochester office. You can be remote and be successful. So, um, you know, I think those have been some challenges that uh, HR organizations have been faced with and keeping people safe, um, you know, uh, coming back into the work environment and you know, do we have to be masked? You know, this whole COVID thing isn't going away anytime soon. And so how do you keep employees safe you know, in the work environment when they, whether work in a manufacturing environment, hospitality, which we all have, you know, at Constellation. And so 
you know, those have been things that we've had to um, uh, figure out in this time as well. Yeah. And the other gap that I would have said, Tyler, that I think Jim uh, addressed was the ICTA and HR not really have that type of relationship that you just described. I mean, the, the level that you guys are going from a succession planning standpoint, that f- futuristic look, I mean, a lot of businesses are only focused 12 months if you're lucky on that skills where their skills are going to be needed. Um, but it also seems like Jim has built a relationship with finance and some of the other key stakeholders required, I mean, to get these types of investments that they that he's looking to make um, in the people uh, from a retention bonus perspective or a compensation benefit strategy, whatever it might be. Um, one of the things that that I wanted to, to, to ask about as well is you talked about kind of the, the changes that we all experienced. Um, what, what did you have to learn in your own leadership style, Jim, um, during the pandemic? Um, you mentioned yeah. needing to go virtual, obviously in leadership, we, we needed to learn new skills, but also some of our, maybe our weaknesses were challenged. Like, what did you have to learn? So I, I needed to learn, um, to pick up on cues from my team. If, if, um, you know, were they working too hard, uh, relative to not being able to walk away from their, their laptop, being able to touch base in a virtual way um, where I, I, I manage by walking around, um, you know, when we're in the, uh, the environment, I love to stop by people's, you know, workstations, how's it going, check in, um, you know, that went away, you know, that day in March uh, back in 2020. And so, you know, we haven't had that opportunity. So trying to make these connections through team, Microsoft Teams and IMing and WebEx meetings, you know, has been um, an additional effort um, you know, for me, uh, just to be more proactive, you know, at that, just to, you know, send quick notes. Hey, I'm thinking of you. I hope everything is going well. Um, just making sure that, um, our employees, my team, you know, feels like, uh, I'm walking along with them. You know, it, it may be difficult that, uh, you know, they got little kids at home. How's that going? You know, just asking those questions, um, you know, as we've all been experiencing some unique challenges over these last couple of years. So that's been something that's, you know, taken me a little, uh, and I just had to adjust, I had to, yeah. you know, pivot a little bit to, to make sure I was focusing on that versus, you know, what I had been accustomed to doing. It's so interesting to hear you say that because I've heard that from a number of, of leaders and Tyler and I have too, is that they, when you lose those visual cues, uh, of leadership to like, you can visually see when somebody's frustrated or you can visually see that they're having a bad day. Um, that was like some of the hardest challenges um, for leaders that are feelers. Uh, so hearing you say that is just so cool because that that's, that's honestly where I think a lot of people struggle is that, and, and where some honestly started going to micromanagement because they couldn't see the work being done now. And if I can't right. see it and I don't see that it's being completed in this certain amount of time, now I'm going to micromanage the work itself. So fascinating. It's, it's absolutely. And, it, you know, it, it takes a level of trust, you know, um, that you need to have with your employees. And I would say I've gotten to know my my folks in the last few years um, probably better on a personal level than I, I would have otherwise. I mean, you know, you see kids walk by, cats are jumping on desks and, <laughs> you know, dogs are barking. And it's, you know, allowed you to ask that question like, oh, you know. I didn't know you had a dog. I didn't know you had a cat, you know, just be able to ask those questions, see what's around them and, and, and their home environment and their background. Like, I don't know, would you bring your violin to work? Well, I got to know that you're, you're, you're a musician, you know? So it's just stuff like that, um, that I think we've been able to do. And, and we forced ourselves to do WebEx meetings and happy hours where we're sharing, um, you know, funny stories, pictures, wear a funny hat. Like we're just doing stuff to, you know, make sure that, that culture um, and that uh, importance of feeling connected 
is still there, even though I'm staring at a computer screen most of the day. I could, I could talk to y'all forever about this literally. subject. Oh I think God. HR suits me well, guys. Me this too, is fun. <laughs> See you why know? I love it? <laughs> I, I, I feel you. Uh, Jim, this is kind of a selfish question. If you, yeah, Man, I love this. Um, if you could give a young person some advice, a senior in high school going into the college right now that's very HR-minded and wants to get into HR, where, where do they start? Where do they go? And how do they do it? Can I ask you that? <laughs> sure. Um, <laughs> well, so, you know, I happened, I stumbled in it in college. I, I didn't know I wanted to go into HR, but um, I knew I wanted to do something legal, um, you know, based. So uh, I took a class that had um, a little bit of labor law in it. That was sort of my, my segue into what they called industrial relations at the time. So, um, you know, I think obviously people's, you know, the curriculum that they want to study is, you know, a great way to, um, you know, figure out and test whether or not the, the subject is something of interest to them. Um, but, you know, even getting internships or trying to, you know, reach out to folks to say, oh, I've heard about HR, you know, there's communities out there, you know, people they can reach out to to talk with network just to say, tell me a little bit about what you do. And on a day-to-day -day basis and, and learn from that to figure out, okay, yeah, that's something I want to pursue in college or, or longer term. So, um, you know, I think, I think that's a great way. And then those for, for anybody that's growing up, I've always told folks to be a sponge, um, try to learn as much as you can, whether it's you want to go into HR, you want to go into finance. If people offer you an opportunity to do something, do it um, because you're going to learn from that opportunity. So soak up as much as you can, because all that experience is going to help you in the long run. So, um, so something that I've always tried to do. And I try to try to teach that on my kids um, to, to do that as well. So they don't listen as well as you know, others, but uh, um, anyways. I'm going I'm to start collecting data, Tyler, on um, asking HR people how they got into HR. Cause you, you, that is literally the number one answer is like, I tripped into it. All right. Uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Rarely are yeah. people like saying I'm going for HR. And it's just, it, it's a funny right. even here, Jim, who is so, uh, prolific in this space. And I would say a, a great HR unicorn, if you will, that a lot of HR leaders would look up to. Jim, I want to go back to something that you were saying, though, and as, as we we're kind of wrapping up here is one of my final questions to you, is you said you had to get your, to know your employees personally, or you got to, right? I was, I was of the belief too, and it was, it was probably passed down from my father and my grandfather is that we never wanted to mix our personal life with our professional life. It just wasn't kosher. You know, it was not cool. You didn't really want to share your secrets with anybody that you worked with. We fought, maybe it was because I'm Italian. I don't know, but maybe, maybe you guys experienced the same thing. Um, but we fought so hard and here we are during the pandemic that now that came colliding um, together. Do you think that leaders are now better leaders because they have been forced to get to people, get to know people on a personal level? And why are leaders, why were leaders so, leaders so afraid of connecting with their employees emotionally? Yeah, and that's a, that's a great question. So, I mean, I, I do think the connectedness and the strength of relationship is, is um, uh, improved when you get to know the whole person. And, and so we have our business life and that's a lot what we see, but there's so much that people carry into the, the building with them that um, is personal. And to tap into that as a leader, to be empathetic, to, to listen, to, uh, you know, uh, laugh or, you know, in the experiences that people have, I think are so important. And it's something that I value one um, as an individual, as a human being, um, you know, to get to know people beyond, um, oh, you work in HR. 
Oh, you got kids. What do their kids do? You, you like cars. You like to play the violin. You like to golf, whatever it is. You know, I always feel like that gives me an enhanced sense of connectivity um, to, to my team. And, you know, I've always been someone that's been sort of private too, but I've had to open up and, and share some of the, you know, things personally. And, and um, you know, I, I feel like that's been uh, hopefully helpful to the people that I work with as well that I'm sharing and being vulnerable in that space. I mean, I think that's the, the piece that people didn't want to be vulnerable, but that's why the hesitancy, you know, maybe before is there's a level of vulnerability, like, oh, I have kids and I have commitments outside of work. I don't want my boss to know that because I don't want them to think that I'm not going to be able to do this project because I got to get home and, you know, get my kid off the bus. Like all that stuff's gone away. And you know what? I want you to do those things because you're going to be a better employee knowing that you have the, the freedom to, to take care of, you know, the things that are most important to you, which isn't your job. It's your family. It's the people that you love, the friendships that you have. And so if you take care of the person um, um, on a personal level, I think everything else has a way of falling into place from a work perspective. I love that. And, and, and one of the things you mentioned was um, that we bring so, people carry so much with them into the walls. And now they might be a virtual walls of work. How do you how do you limit those distractions as an employer? Like, how, do, how I guess, how do you limit? How do you how do you prevent those types of distractions that are, are, are standing in the way of engagement or, or efficiencies and and outputs and things like that? Well, I think you need to I think we, as a business, you need to embrace them, that people are going to have those challenges and um, you got to give people the space to do that. You know, we're um, we've been talking about having what we're calling a flexibility program at Constellation where people will be able to elect to to work home a certain number of days and work in the office a certain number of days. And it's going to be dependent on what's going to work best for them. So again, I think, you know, businesses need to embrace um, those challenges and those that do it well are going to be the employers that win um, when they're recruiting, because those that don't, I think are going to have a harder time getting the employees and the level of engagement that they need to, to, to have, to be able to be successful as an organization. Well, that's soapbox. <laughs> yeah, I see it all day. You know, I see pretty, you know, Fortune 500 companies lose out to some awesome talent for not having a flexibility package, like you mentioned, Jim. And it's, it's like, <laughs> get with the times, fellas, you know. Right. Uh, and I think I just wanted to sign off here by saying, uh, what, what kind of legacy um, does Jim Alvaso want to leave behind when it's all said and done? That's a great question. I, I go back to something I said before. I, you know, I think it's how many leaders that I've been able to help develop and, and allow them to, to achieve their, their goals, um, you know, career-wise, personal-wise. You know, if I've been able to help touch somebody from a mentoring perspective um, to, uh, you know, do what they want to do that makes them happy, then that's what I'm most proud of. And I would say if I can do that for my kids um, and see them grow and develop and do the things that they love, then um, you know, that's probably going to be the legacy that I'm most proud of and continuing to have a, a happy and uh, loving marriage with my wife and, and uh, many years to look forward to in retirement. So those are the things that I'll be looking forward to. Jim, thank you so much for being a special guest. Thanks so much for all the great work that you guys are doing and your leadership over there at Constellation Brands to really change and unpack the lives of your employees, but also the community in which Tyler used to live. I still live. Um, and being a part of. So thank you so much for, for your con the, the, the conversation today and, and all your insights. Kevin, Tyler, thank you so much. Made this uh, you know, nice and comfortable and really enjoyed uh, the conversation. So thank you so much. Really appreciate it. You awesome. bet, Jim. All right. <laughs> well, thank you so Cheers, much, guys. Jim. Cheers.